philosophers. The Cinematic Sausage. Hello, won't you come in? Please, warm yourself by the fire. I know a fire on a summer's evening appears quite bizarre, but these thick stone walls make every evening a little bit chilling. You must think me an unsurly host. My name is Warren H. Cummings, and this, this, yes, this is my humble little podcast. It was once called a raspberry movie and a footlong dog, you know. That can be a bit of a mouthful. So I've renamed it The Cinematic Sausage. But the premise is the same, dipping my toe into the world of the silver screen. Drink? I'm afraid I only have red wine. Yes, it is a little darker than usual. Well, so's this edition, really. You see, I'm joined by amateur historian and fellow podcaster Lisa Parker, and she shares her experiences of the adventure, well, the unholy adventure, if you like, she took into the world of Hammer Horror Films. Believe it or not, Lisa is a relative newcomer to the Kensington gore of the Technicolor world of Hammer Horror. So relax. Melt away into the world of hideous monsters, dark villains of legend, and the forgotten art of storytelling without flashes, bangs, and overwhelming music scores. That's it. Just drift away. Drift away. Drift away. Drift away. Drift away. Drift away. Today I'm in a different studio. I'm sat on the red, famous red sofa of the Round the Archives team. And joining me is resident historian. I big grin when I say that. And horror aficionado. I, I think we can call you that now. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Hammer aficionado is very good as well. I, I quite like that idea as well. I'm joined again for our second appearance... It's Lisa. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Warren. How are you? I'm thank, thank you. It's great to be in the around the archive studio. It's, it's, it's cavernous, isn't it? It is it, huge. It's huge. But you are hemmed in by lots and lots of DVDs and the books and as well. Books, yeah. yeah. But yeah. yep, there's the famous red sofa. Mr. T is not joining us on the sofa. No, he's going to absent himself so he can listen to this back without surprises. Oh. And in case he makes faces as well. He was only born with that face. That's a very <laughs> shame. Well, what should we talk about? Oh, well, I, I thought we'd have a look at Hammer Horror Films. Hammer Horror? Yeah. Hammer Horror? Hammer Films. Hammer Films. Hammer okay, films. yeah, so, certainly. But, but most particularly Hammer Horror, because it's certainly um, a unique set of films, starting in 1957 with The Curse of Frankenstein to sort of 1976 with To the Devil a Daughter. Is that the one with Woodmark in? Yes. Yes. American actor who didn't have a sense of humour. Didn't he? Apparently oh. not, no. He <laughs> terribly seriously and kept threatening to quit. Uh-huh. Richard Woodmark challenges Christopher Lee for the soul of a girl named Catherine in the terrifying film of Dennis Wheatley's sensational bestseller, To the Devil, a Daughter. Yeah. American actor 
just don't some American actors I, I need to quantify that don't seem to have a sense of humor do you think so. it's do you think it's a thing about American actors working in British films and they just don't get the way British films are made because there's such a difference between this sort of Hollywood glittery I think that's probably it and then you come you come along to hammer films yeah and it's, I mean, it's not slapdash. You know, mm. there are very well-made films yeah. on a very tight budget, but it's perhaps not the way they do it in America. I, I like Hammer. I, I do. I, I like Hammer as well. I mean, they're beautifully shot films. The sets are impeccable, particularly um, the Bernard Robinson ones, mm-hmm. which are stunning. He makes the most of some very sh- small studio space. And he redresses them. So, uh, I mean, for instance, in Dracula, the set where the stairs, where Dracula come down, that set's used in several different scenes, but just slightly redressed. Because it's used in the graveyard scene, it's used for the library with, with um, bookshelves put in. So it's, yeah, it's, it, you know, he gets a lot out of those small sets. Very thrifty are Hammer films, yes. aren't they? Yes, though they do apparently go over budget on um, the four films that they filmed starting, I don't know which one actually they filmed first, but with Dracula, Prince of Darkness, Rasputin, The Reptile and Plague of the Zombies. Mm. The Reptile was the last one to be filmed and they'd apparently gone slightly over budget on the others. So the Reptile had to be really closely monitored. (laughs) You broke the budget on that. Well, I think the Reptile did come in on budget, but the other ones had gone over budget. So the idea of doing four films back to back to save money using the same sets hadn't really worked for that particular mm. set. Because obviously Dracula, Prince of Darkness and Rasputin share some of the same sets and the Plague, Plague of the Zombies and the Reptile share yes, some sets. very much so, yeah. So they're basically the same village but with a different name. So, <laughs> um, I was watching Plague of Zombies the other day and I was going. I've seen. I've seen this team before. But yeah, then reptile pops into the head, and that's yeah. that's it. That's knocked it on the head. Yeah. Good evening, officer. You just step up here a moment, gentlemen, please. I. Uh, I realise this looks. It's a serious charge you'll be on in the morning. What charge? Who might this gentleman be? Sir James Forbes. Good evening, sir. Good evening. What have you been charges with? Body snatching, I should think, sir. I see. Well, in that case, I suppose... You don't mind if we have a quick look? I don't care who you are, sir. What's going on, sir? Do you like the sort of quirkiness of that? Because, to be fair, it's the storyline that people are are there for. And if they've got... A set which they can redress because these were usually double fe- features, weren't yes, they? Yes, yes, because you get um, Rasputin and I think it's I can't remember which one what goes with Rasputin now. Uh, I think it's the reptile, the Rasputin and then the reptile and the fake beard, which you can get when you go to see Rasputin, <laughs> which is really odd. And um, uh, Dracula, Prince of Darkness, and Plague of the Zombies. Mm-hmm. It might, that might not be the correct uh, double bills, but yeah, so. Um, they certainly didn't put Plague of Zombies and the Reptile together because it would have been very obvious to people if they'd watched them sort of both together that they used some of the same sets. 
It's odd to think now, though, that, that they run through about an hour and a half. Yes. And that's that's a decent length, for what's accepted for a, a film. But to put two together and yeah. have that little intermission in the middle, it's yeah. it's, it's very 60s and 70s-ish, it? isn't it? Really, I mean, obviously, you don't get that now. Because you used, obviously, back then, you could go to the cinema and basically stay there the whole day. You could just watch the same film over and over and over again. <laughs> Whereas now, if, you know, if, you're, if you're not out the moment the film's finished... <laughs> They're, they get a little bit of well, no, it's not quite like that. Obviously, you know, people do, particularly if with the sort of Marvel films now, people do watch to the end of the credits because there's usually sort of a post-credits sequence. But yeah, they don't. It's not like it used to be. You can't just pay for a ticket and stay there as long as you want. Mm. Which you, you could sort of back in the seventies. But I mean, yeah, Hammer, Hammer films. Obviously, they started out when after the Second World because it was formed before the Second World War. And then when the Second World War came along, obviously they stopped making films. They went out of business for a bit because a lot of the people involved had to go off and fight in the war. Then they come back after the Second World War and come back and reform it as, as Hammer Films. And they start making sort of things like Dick Barton and PC-49 and that sort of thing. Yeah. And then they suddenly make Quatermass and they suddenly realise that there's, there's a market in these kind of films. So then they make X into the Unknown and um, the Four-Sided Triangle, that's what it's called, and those space films. And then for some reason, the next the next logical step is to make horror films. And they go into partnership with Universal, which allows them the back catalogue of Universal's 30s horror films, which I don't think anybody had ever done before that, because obviously Universal owned rights to Dracula and at that point. The only thing they weren't allowed to do when they made The Curse of Frankenstein was to make the monster look like Boris Karloff's monster. I think that benefits from it not being Boris Karloff's yeah. monster with the bolts in the neck and the, yeah. the, the so, sort of square head. Yeah, I mean, Christopher Lee in his autobiography describes him as looking like a road accident victim. Because <laughs> apparently nobody wanted to sit with him and have lunch with him. They, <laughs> the actresses were sort of made to sit with him by the publicity department. Well, there's that famous scene of when they unveil him at the publicity and he steps out and the two women on the front row pass out. <laughs> it's interesting to think that a film would have that much impact now, isn't it? Yeah, but I mean, it does. It, it's, I think because it's in colour and suddenly you can see that he's got green skin because he's, he's made of dead bodies. So they've probably started, flesh, yeah, they've started to decompose a little bit. And the blood is very red. Um, we must, there's a special name for Hammer. Yes, blood. Kensington Gore, which yes. is what Hammer called it. Um, again in his autobiography Christopher Lee says that the scene where he as the monster in Curse of Frankenstein gets shot he had the, the Kensington Gore in his hand and he had to clasp it to his eye and then when he pulled his hand away he had blood on his face he unfortunately got it in his eye He's apparently, he was apparently he's a very accidental, uh, accident-prone person, but yeah. then he was very tall yes he so was exceptionally to, it must be quite difficult to, to sort of just move about sometimes without hitting something yeah. with one of your appendages so yeah that that had to stop filming for a bit while they because um, he let out a shriek and obviously the monster doesn't make any sounds so they had to take him off and bathe his eye and he was fine but he did for a while think he'd lost the sight and, the, wow. and that eye because it went into his eye you got to be over enthusiastic oh. so yeah it, I mean I, I one thing I have taken out watching all of these films is I hadn't realised, and it's ridiculous really, because I've seen him in other things, but I hadn't realised what a good actor Christopher Lee was. 
just because of the way he uses his body, mm-hmm. particularly in the Curse of Frankenstein and the Mummy, where he has virtually well, he has no lines in the Curse of Frankenstein. The Mummy he has some lines as the priest carries, yes, but when he's the Mummy, he doesn't talk at all, and he does everything with his body. And his eyes are and his eyes. so yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got the most wonderful, penetrating, piercing brown eyes. Well, this is the thing. He he has such an ability. Whereas they see him as Dracula, as the hypnotic eyes, but where you have him as the mummy, he's got sad eyes. Yeah, they are. They're really sad. Yeah, yeah. You, know, you can see all the pain and the torment in his eyes. Yeah. Um, I mean, some of that might have been to do with the fact that he that he had a catalogue of injuries on that <laughs> he film. No, he really is. He, he was very accident prone. prone. I mean, to be honest, one of them was due to the fact that when he crashes through the door from the hallway into, I think it's the library or something. That's right, yes. Somebody fishing. bolted it. Oh, grief. Um, and he hurt his shoulder. Cut, cut himself. Well, I don't know if he cut himself. But he got cuts and bruises coming through the glass door. The, the, you know the French doors. Yeah. When that, he's got because Peter Cushing shoots at him, which obviously it doesn't stop him because he's already the character is always dead. And you get the little squibs. They burnt him. So he didn't do very well, really. During that, oh, and he also strained his shoulder carrying the actress in the swamp because oh, he had to. Yes. He has to carry her with his arms straight out in yeah. front of him because obviously she can't hold on to him because she's meant to be. She's fainted. Yeah. As women always do in these things. So he's carrying up with it just draped over his arms. So he hurt himself then as well. That is actually done by a stuntman, though. And I forget who it is, but yeah, it's a stuntman that does the the plunge into the swamp thing mm. as well. Because once you get that costume saturated and dirty, you can't really do that again. And wasn't he a few sheets to the wind? Possibly, yes. <laughs> he might have had a drink at lunchtime. I'm not surprised. Just to sort of, you know, gird it along a little bit. Yeah. That's quite a spectacular ending, though, to that film. It is. It is. I mean, it's there, there are various different ways that the monsters, for want of a better word, mm. get killed off. I mean, there is a lot of sort of fires and burning houses, because obviously that's that's how at the end of the reptile it's, it gets sorted. Um, I was glad they got the cat though. Yeah. You've got the little kitten. Yes. And she, she rescues It sounds like a kitten. It might be an older cat, but it's got a very squeaky meow. She picks it up and, and takes it out. Oh. And the cat is fine. But yeah, it's, it's, there are various ways. Possibly the most interesting being um, Barbara Shelley having her head chopped off at the end of the Gorgon. Oh, yes. Even oh. though it's not actually Barbara Shelley at that point. It's because the, it's, they. Yes. She actually said to them, Barbara Shelley, she's, she did a few Hammer films and she'd become one of their most popular female stars mm-hmm. and she said to them because she didn't mind snakes and she said look if you want to put a headdress on me with live snakes in that'll be fine wow. I don't mind snakes <laughs> and they said no because obviously the makeup would have taken too long to put on and take off yeah. stopping between the Gorgon character and her uh, the other version of her character so they get a different actress in with slightly disappointing rubber snakes Oh, the stop motion, and then when they're not doing the stop motion, they do, because when they move the head, they look really false, don't they? Yeah. So, they do wobble a lot. But, yeah, so, because she was apparently a huge animal lover, Barbara Shelley, so snakes didn't bother her at all. I mean, she said, because I saw a documentary with her the other day, and she said, if I found one in my bedroom, I, would be, I wouldn't like it, but, you know, it's like... <laughs> I, I don't mean, think anybody would. would. But if she knew it, if they, she knew they were under control, then yeah. it, she wasn't faced at all. In fact, it, there's something about people who appear in the Hammer films. We'll come on to one particular individual who appears in the first one of the Dracula films in a moment. But there's something about the actors because the, the suspension of disbelief has to be absolute. 
Yes. When you do something. But also there's that wonderful angle of falling into the past because a lot of them are very much Victorian era, aren't yes. they? Yes. And it's that kind of wonderful thing that Hammer does well, the horse and cart running through the woods, which are just out, which they use quite regularly, which are just outside Slough. Yeah, they use Black Park quite a lot. That's it, yeah. yeah. And it's quite famous for that as yeah. well. But uh, you take the first film, very gothic, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it, you can lap it up even, isn't it? It's, it's beautiful. And there's that wonderful, and we talk about Christopher Lee, that him sweeping, literally hovering down those stairs with that wonderful cape. Yes. Yeah. I, I, it always makes me wince a bit when he walks downstairs because there's no banister. And that's a long cape. <laughs> and if that was me, and knowing how accident prone he, he was, you know, <laughs> I'm surprised he didn't manage to, to fall down the stairs. Because he's got a banister in some shots, but that particular shot, there's, there's nothing there. But he just glides down the stairs. It's almost like he's not walking, like yeah. he's sort of hovering. And he goes right up, the camera comes right up to his face. And he goes, hello, um, I am Dracula and, and welcome to my home. So benign and yeah. welcoming. But can you imagine the, the whole of the audience now has got his face on the screen. Yeah. It just fills the screen, Hugely. isn't it? Mr. Harker. I'm glad that you've arrived safely. Count Dracula. I am Dracula, and I welcome you to my house. I must apologise for not being here to greet you personally, but I trust that you have found everything you needed. Let's talk about, if we, if you may, now we've got his face on the screen and we're mm. looking at him, the romantic aspect yeah. of, yeah. of um, Dracula. Yeah, there's a very interesting documentary on the, on the Blu-ray version of Dracula with Christopher Frayling who is an expert in this kind of area. And he says, before this film in 1958, Dracula was not sexy. Dracula was... Because obviously, before this, you'd had the universal version with Bela Lugosi, who, because English wasn't his first language, had to phonetically learn every line, which is why it's it's quite delivered quite slowly, which helps the character that, at yeah, that point. Yeah, always brings into mind when you say that, that wonderful line with the the wolves howling and him going listen the children of the night listen to them children of the night yes and that explains why he's pronouncing it quite so clearly yeah. as that yeah yeah so and obviously before that you've got nosferatu who's sort of... he, i believe me he's not a sexy no. figure at all no. no so it's a real <laughs> revelation and i think everybody now when everybody thinks of dracula now you think of that sexy vampire and that is only established in Dracula in 1958. Do you think that sex appeal comes from Christopher Lee himself? I, I think it partly comes from Christopher Lee, because he's a very attractive man, and he's about 35 at this point, so he's at the height of his sort of... I thought you were about to say 35 feet. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's very tall. He's not yeah. that tall, though. So, yeah, and I think it's just the way they shoot it and the music, the music adds to it, because um, James Bernard, the composer, apparently was asked to compose sex music for Dracula to, to, to ramp up the sort of tension and also there's that shot of when he approaches Mina in her bedroom and they obviously change the angle of it because the censor said you can't do that that's too much and she's really surrendering herself to him she's visibly enjoying it's on a plate isn't yes. it yeah yeah and as somebody says she's surrendering herself to to in essence is what is a rape it's in that context it's slightly dodgy but you've also got the fact that she's married to um arthur her homewood her husband 
played by Michael Goff, it's a bit of a stuffed shirt. <laughs> and as obviously yes, that's n- one I alluded to earlier. Yes, and yes. has obviously never treated her as a desirable woman yes. in her life. So suddenly this sexy, dark, attractive man comes along and treats her like a, a sexual woman and she really likes it. So, because there's, there's this, the scene where after she's gone off and, and met Dracula, none of which you see at that point, she comes back and there's a visible change in her. And none of the men in the room, which is obviously Michael Goff as a husband and Peter Cushing as Van Helsing, pick up on this. <laughs> she's glowing almost, she's, isn't she? She is glowing. Yes. She's obviously had a she's very like... nice time. But yeah, she's she's another one that almost sweeps into the room yes. with the biggest cheesiest grin on her yeah. face because yeah, so the 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 what was it the instructions given to her wander into the room looking like you've just had the best sex ever. Yes, <laughs> so, it's a wonderful direction because it's all really about repression and that Victorian thing of obviously you've got sex but nobody talks about sex. Yes, yeah, which again was happening in the fifties, mm. you know. Sex was obviously around, and, it, and in the sixties, you get it coming to the fore a lot more. But at this point, it's not talked about because British don't know how to talk about sex. No, because uh, when you get to later versions of Dracula, particularly um, the Francis Ford Coppola version, he's it, not sort of dressed in that sort of kind of the way that Christopher Lee is dressed or that Bela Lugosi is dressed, the slicked back hair and everything. It tries to make him look sort of older. But I guess if you were a, a vampire and, and you, you would sort of dress to the era that you were you were now yeah, in. Absolutely. To, a modern to vampire's in. gonna I mean if we take um A D nineteen seventy two. Yes. For instance, he's he's he is dressed in his cape, but the the time moves on and Dracula stories. How do you feel he fares in that in Satanic Rites? I, I haven't yet watched Satanic Rites, so I can't I can't talk about that one. But in in uh, AD seventy two, I'm almost on his side because it, the, the 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 bunch of people that bring him back are <laughs> such an unlikable bunch of do, people. Do you think they deserve to all get slaughtered then? They kind of do. But yeah. it's it's very that one is more camp, I would say. It is. Christopher Christopher Neen is yes. just that that white fedora. Yes. It's just something outrageously camp about that particular film. Satanic is quite interesting because he's a businessman in Satanic. Yeah. He's running this um, very interesting uh, business. And he's he isn't dressed as Dracula. He's dressed in business suit and everything. So he's totally absorbed into hmm. the 20th century. Whereas I think he's slightly in AD 1972. He's still teetering on the edge of still being that Victorian yeah. gentleman with the, the, the cape and everything. Now, we've talked about Christopher a lot. Yes. Peter. Oh, Peter Cushing. Peter Cushing is a revelation. Because the only thing I'd really seen Peter Cushing in before was the two Dalek movies and his version of Sherlock Holmes in the 60s. Neither of... And and Star Wars. Um, Neither of... None of which is he required to be... to have any action. And I hadn't realised what an action man he is. Particularly in... um, Dracula, you know, because you've got that scene where he's jumping over the banister, running up the stairs, when he runs along the table and pulls the curtains down. He's no young buck in that either. Is he? I mean, he's in his mid forties, but he's, you know, he's, 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 yeah, it's just like wow. It's, it, I hadn't realised that he was that kind of actor. He's, it's so physical, and I 
have yet to see him give a bad performance in anything. He's just, whatever he's doing, doesn't matter how bad the script is, and sometimes the scripts are not great. Yes. Some of the lines are not brilliant. I suggest you don't watch The Blood Pleased Terror. <laughs> this is what he admits that this is what's film. He could read the telephone directory. And he's just he's just yeah. so lovely. Oh, he's such a gentleman, isn't he? He is. Because have you heard the story about um because obviously he in later years he lived in Whitstable and he um he used to ride his bicycle and he had an accident, he fell off the I don't know if he went in a pothole or something, and he fell off his bicycle. And while he was on the ground, um somebody asked him for his autograph, which is possibly slightly inappropriate at that point. And he's like, yes, yes, dear boy, would you like it in blood? <laughs> he has, because whereas Christopher, I think, is, he does play to the dark elements of the character that he has in that. He can be quite threatening. Whereas Christopher, uh, whereas Peter is is quite amiable and quite lovable, isn't he? Yeah, even when he's playing a villain, which he does in The Gorgon, because hmm. they kind of swap parts in that. Peter Cushing gets the sort of, the villain type role and Christopher Lee in that a really absurd makeup gets to be the sort of professorial hero kind yes. of part that that's the only thing that spoils the gorgon for me I really like the gorgon it's a lovely film it's it's beautifully directed and it looks great and everybody's brilliant but for some reason they decide to make Christopher Lee look about 20 years older than he actually is and it's it's kind of odd there is a problem with wigs sometimes because I did find that with Michael Ripper a bit that he did keep getting Getting slightly dodgy dodgy wigs very dodgy wigs um, particularly in Captain Clegg and that's another great film I loved Captain Clegg it's beautifully directed I've never seen the camera move so much in a Hammer film because you get the high shots and you get low shots and you get going through grass and it's, it's the camera's constantly on the go in certain scenes but then you come back and you see Michael Ripper in that wig and you're like, oh. But isn't that the one where Peter Cushing has a curly wig? Yes, his wig's not brilliant either. No, he has I have a to very say. weird. And seeing Peter Cushing with a curly wig's quite odd. Yeah. It's got this sort of weird little sort of page boy cut, isn't yes, it? Yes, yeah. Um, which doesn't really suit him. But it's, it's, it's meant to be the sort of historical but era. It made him look in. younger, actually. It did make him look younger. Yeah. Um and and the sad thing with Peter is that you can tell when you're watching the film when he's come to that traumatic part of his life. Yes. Because he becomes very grey, very gaunt, doesn't he? Does. he? Yeah, he gets and increasingly always... um thinner, yes. And it's very worrying, isn't it? Is. It? it is very it is. worrying. I mean he's it's not like he's the he's, he's a beast to start with. No. You know. He's not a sex symbol either, really. No, no. He's he's he is there to be the sort of sort of if you've got a, a problem or a question you go to his character to mm. ask them because he's a sort of pro- professor he knows everything he, but you know he's, he's definitely not but however if you look turning the coin you look at his frankenstein yeah oh he is devious he is he's, he's really yes we've discovered the source of life itself and we've used it to restore a creature that was dead now, this is a, a tremendous discovery but we, we mustn't share it yet we must move on to the next stage. I have a slight problem with the Curse of Frankenstein and the fact that it takes almost half of the film before you actually get the monster. <laughs> oh, we have to have Melvin Hayes and things, yeah. don't we? Yeah. I mean, I, I get what they're doing. They're building up the tension, but I would suggest they put, it possibly takes too long to get to the sort of action in that one. 
of all the franchises, I think the franchise one, uh, the the sorry, the Frankenstein franchises are more plodding than the other storylines. I was watching yes. Frankenstein Creates Woman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that seemed interminably slow. And now, I, 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 compared to now, nowadays, yes, all their films are could be seen as plodding. And so, however, they have a lot of insight in the films. They have a lot of development of characters in films. But with Frankenstein, the Frankenstein ones just seem to be a little bit more slower than the rest. Yeah, I mean, I, w- I would argue that Dracula is, is you get the action pretty quickly in that. And it moves along at a really good pace. Mm. I think that is the exception to the rule. When people say films from the 50s and 60s are slow, that is the exception because that's, that's, that bowls along yeah. Dracula. But yeah, some, some of the Frankenstein films are a bit plodding. I only watched two out of the, um, the set of those because I've, I've, I've got all of them. Because I did, I did The Curse of Frankenstein and I did Revenge of Frankenstein, which is different. Yeah, it's... it's um, <laughs> Yeah, it's the monsters aren't the same. No. Um, the monsters actually are quite tame in those, aren't they? Yeah. Uh, Appearance-wise. Anything after yeah. Christopher Lee, then, does become rather tame, yes, doesn't it? Yes, it? it, it, it's not as horrific, that one. Because he creates this sort of... Because he's got the, the um, sort of hunchback assistant in that one, hasn't he? And he creates him a new oh, God, body. Yes. Because he says he's... I mean, it's, it's slightly... <laughs> I, I did watch it thinking, this is slightly sort of dodgy because you get a bit of eugenics in there don't you the yeah. fact that he's got a crooked body but his mind is it's... is superb yeah but then when he transports his brain into this good looking body it starts to corrupt the body and you're like mm. so you're saying that disabled people it's kind of almost saying that that it's you know if your body is crooked then your mind is crooked yeah um which is a not always a great sentiment <laughs> no. but it's an interesting film mm-hmm and Peter Cushing is again superb and you've also got Francis Matthews in that yes like Francis very young and yes. very sort of keen to be involved yeah. and then you get the the, the um the, the sequel to well it's not really a sequel it's a follow-up to Dracula which is the Brides of Dracula which is a good film apart from the, the character the actor playing the vampire who is not great not really suited I, I don't know whether he's not suited or he just doesn't look the part hmm. Because he's because he's a blonde actor, maybe it doesn't work Ooh, so no, well. You, I think you're ha- looking at having a dark actor because yeah. it's it's so that, that emphasizes the sinister looks, and uh, I don't dark and that the, the dark thing goes back to the romance thing as well. I think is, uh, but I I don't think blonde is right for a vampire. Yeah. I I just don't think it really works. I, I too don't, friendly, do you think? I don't know. I don't know whether maybe it's just that the actor's not very good. In this particular part, <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. So, because, and if um, you're in the shadow of what's gone before, yeah, it must be very intimidating to follow up from Christopher Lee because Christopher mm. Lee is so good. Uh, but again, you get Peter Cushing leaping about at the end of that and swinging over things, and and you know, it's 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 like oh god, Peter Cushing, the action hero. It's amazing. Yeah. I remember Peter Cushing um, being this frail old man, and then you... yeah, and then you see that, and you're like, oh, actually, <laughs> he bounces around like a two. Then you does. imagine him in in slippers yeah. wandering around the Death Star. Yes. <laughs> yes. O Kanak, through me, guide this thy servant on his appointed task. Go now, go and destroy those who 
those who desecrated the tomb of our princess. Those unbelievers who gazed upon her long dead face. Go, and let the spirit of Karnak, our god, go with you. I, I did, I... I, I watched the first two Mummy films, so yeah. I think out of those, the first one is probably the slightly better one, just because of what's involved in it. But you do get that extraordinary speech by Peter Cushing about foreigners, and you're like, oh, okay. Is, but is that that speech more of a Victorian attitude, would you say? Possibly, yeah. I mean, it's almost the, look what the British Empire has done for you, isn't it? Yes. We've, we've, we've civilised you. And you're like, hang on a minute. <laughs> so, yeah, we've civilised you, and what we come along and do is dig up your past yeah, and, steal, and steal everything. Steal everything and, and stick take it out of museums, yes. yes. And not let you have it back again. No. And obviously, then you get the um, Curse of the Mummy's Tomb, which is interesting. That hasn't got any of the regulars in. So, no Peter Cushing, no well, Christopher Lee. Se- I don't think I've seen this. Um, one. You have got Michael Ripper oh. in there. Uh, playing an Arab, which is odd because he's got very oh, blue eyes. Um, right, okay. And John Paul is a policeman, not playing it like John Paul for once. Really? Was he was a wearing a polo neck a cool, by any no, chance? No, no he's, wow. he was giving a performance. Um, <laughs> so, but yeah, it's, that's an interesting one. It, yeah, it's it's quite fun. Um, I haven't watched any of the other mummy films yet. I will I will watch because obviously you've got Blood from the Mummy's Tomb, which mm. is Valerie Leon, isn't it? So, yes, being voluptuous, yes. I think. Yes. Yes, she's good at that. She's very good at yeah. that. She has the right accoutrement. She does. She does. And then sort of, and obviously. Christopher Lee comes back in Dracula, Prince of Darkness. And I know you have slight issues with the way he's... Not with the way he's brought... Not with the manner he's brought back, with, but with the sheer amount of Kensington yeah, on the show. There's in that scene. far too much Kensington going yeah. on there. It's like somebody pouring a bucket into that. Documentary on the reptile disc. And even Mark Gatiss says that that scene sticks in your mind because there's so much blood. Yeah. I think it's probably because the first time I saw that, I'd never seen... The representation of so much blood, and there's that sudden—I was going to call him Lurch. Then yeah. he sees this, he sees um, his manservant slash across, don't yeah. you? And then you suddenly cut, and it just pours out. And I'm thinking, yeah, it, probably yeah, because the entire contents are going to come out, and it's not under pressure, is yeah. it? But um, I remember that being uh, um, it, about twelve, seeing that film, and really influenced by the amount of Kensington coming up because it sounds like someone's filling the bath up (laughs) (laughs) and then you get another lovely thing that Pete um, sorry Christopher Lee always does when he's playing Dracula because Philip Lathan who's his manservant Clove goes and gets uh, Barbara Shelley and says about something's happened to your husband yeah basically you killed him but he doesn't say that (laughs) And he, she he, she goes down there and she sees the body and she screams and then Christopher Lee appears and he does the thing with his cloak where he pulls it up to cover her and it's like it's it, it, that's the thing he does in like he seems to do every time he's playing Dracula with yeah. the cloak to cover you know sticking the fangs in really. to, yeah because they didn't the censors didn't like that they didn't like the scenes of of the the, the vampire fans going in the neck that's that's very odd yet they would allow something as horrible as gallons of blood I think by that point they'd sort of relaxed a little bit on the gore Hmm. and maybe they just did that because it was a thing with Dracula, that's what Dracula does he has an interesting death in that one as well I like his death in that which almost ended up being an actual death as well didn't it 
Yes. I'm trying to think how he died in the home. He, he was died. shot on the ice, wasn't he? Oh, yes, that was it. Yes, yes. Yeah, he falls through into the water, doesn't he? Yeah, and the yeah. stuntman who was playing him, they didn't put the oxygen container in a readily accessible area. Oh, gosh. And when he pivots on the false ice and goes into the water, it closed up and he nearly didn't have time to get the respirator run underneath mm-hmm. so he could breathe. But, um, Andrew Keir in as well, has, hasn't he? yes. And he has... He, he always... It, it, I love his gruff Scots accent. It's so rich. This is none of your concern. Would I ride 50 kilometres in this filthy weather if it were none of my concern? You shame the cloth you wear. We can't take any chances. Chances? What chances? This child died. You understand that, man of God? She died. Nothing more. You, You can't be sure. Of course I'm sure. And he's, he's playing a monk. Yeah. <laughs> Carrying he's, a rifle, gun tooting yes. monk. Yes. He's, yeah, he is good. He is great in that. And you, you get that transformation for Barbara Shelley's character in that, where she goes from oh, being yeah. this prudish oh, Victorian yes. who doesn't approve of anything to this sort of voluptuous vampire. Yeah, and then into that ghastly creature that she yeah. becomes because when they got her held captive in the to uh, put the stake in her heart she knows what's coming yeah and she's the, she's the beast in the corner yeah she's she's the, she's fighting yeah all the time. And apparently that scene was it was quite difficult to do because she had a bad back so they couldn't pull her around she had to Ooh. do it she had to do the movement for what movement she could do mm. um, and she also said in the interview i saw with her the other day um that she only had a few seconds because obviously you've got the shot of, of the stake going in then it cuts away then when it cuts back, she's in repose and she looks peaceful. And yeah. she literally had to do that live. Wow. They didn't cut. All they did was they cut back to her and she had to... Mm. So she had to go from being that snarling creature to being looking peaceful in, in final sort of death at that point. Do you wince when the hammer hits the top of the yeah, stake? Whenever they do a vampire. Yeah, it's, it's that sort of slight crunch you get as it goes through the ribs. Yeah. Um, the, the, the one thing I always do look at when that happens is uh, the amount of engineering that's going on with those night dresses to keep the ladies' bosoms in that position. <laughs> oh, is it tit tape again? It, the, well, there's, there's either tit tape or there's a bit of scaffolding going on there because I can tell you, ladies' bosoms do not stay in that position when you're laying <laughs> on your back. They sort of go to the side a little bit, but they've got good. Um, yeah, it's, it's either underwear or, or they've been wire broad. Yeah. 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 Lift and push. Yes, to keep them in position. Yeah. Because I know, I know um, uh, Stephanie Beecham in in um, AD seventy two. Because her dress doesn't leave a lot to the imagination. No. And there was she could not was... wear a bra underneath it. So there's a bit of tip tape going on there. To yeah, keep I was going to say it was a bit chilly on that yeah. shoot, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> keep them in position. One person I'd like to throw into the mix, if I may, is Michael Ripper. Oh, I absolutely adore Michael Ripper. If I could just tell people, uh, I could just relay the look on your face as soon as I said that he's, name. Your eyes sparkle with that big smile. He's yeah, just wonderful. You can always rely on Michael Ripper. Whichever part he's playing, big or small... I mean, sometimes he's just as a voice, because in Rasputin, he's just the voice of the coachman. I don't know what was wrong with the actor, because there's nothing wrong with the actor. He's a good actor. Mm. But for some reason, Hammer has this thing about overdubbing people, and they get Michael Ripper. And you, the moment you hear Michael Ripper's voice, you know it's Michael Ripper, even though it's not him on screen. Yeah. It's, it's really... He's your ideal supporting actor. 
you know, he never takes the focus away from the main actor, but he provides a good sort of support. Basically, if if because obviously in the reptile he plays the publican and he's he helps um, Ray Barrett's character to find out what's happening. Now look there. What do you make of it? Looks like a bite. It's two bites, isn't it? Perhaps an animal with two teeth, fangs. It's possible. Do you know what I think we should do? What? Have a look at your brother. And if if you know if you wanted somebody to help you, it would be Michael Ripper because he is. Unless he's playing a villain, of course, in which case maybe you don't want him. Reliable, because he's because he's he's sort of in um, Captain Clegg. He's he's Peter Cushing's sort of right hand man, isn't he? And keeping sort of the other villagers in control, because you've got I'm trying to think. A Martin 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 Benson's character, who's the publican, who is at various various times hysterical and doesn't want to take part in the sort of smuggling anymore and he sort of keeps him under control and like no you you keep your mouth shut and Patrick this. Allen who's yes, in Patrick charge of Allen's, the soldiers yes he's, he, it's, it's very odd watching Patrick Allen in a film because his voice is very distinctive and obviously in the 80s he did a lot of adverts yes so you just think you're like oh he's going to talk about double glazing and going to fly past in his helicopter yeah, so um so he's a little odd watching him but obviously in, in Captain Clegg you've got um Oliver Reed. Wow, um, what is Ollie like? Because uh, I'll be fair, I have not, and I should do, I want to see Werewolf. It's sat on my shelf, so I've never got around I, to I've watching not seen, Werewolf. I've not seen that but one. But Ollie he's, Reed in those films he's is great. just... He's great. Yeah. He's absolutely... Because this is quite close to the start of his career. Yeah. So it's perhaps before he gets too much into the sort of drinking too much alcohol. I played the unfortunate creature heading towards a tragic end. He's, he's great. He's, he looks great. He sounds, you forget he's very handsome, isn't he? Yeah. very handsome. You forget how young he was. He's very posh. He always plays yes. the sort of squire's son or something. Because he's in, um, I think it's called The Scarlet Blade, one set in the Civil Wars, where he's a roundhead character. Because there's a great, on some of the Blu-rays, you get this, this Hammer world and it's like um, half an hour episodes with clips and it's him introducing it. And he's very funny because he's, 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 he's like, oh, look, that's me in the round hat. <laughs> <laughs> he's very dry, isn't he? He is. But he's a wonderful... You just forget how wonderful his acting was. Yeah, he was a really good actor. And again, it's another unfortunate case of the pressure getting too much and, and turning to the to, to drink. Because yeah. he had the potential to be a classic actor along the lines of sort of Laurence Olivier. And... I, do, I just don't know whether he could he could take the pressure of doing that. But yeah, no, he's 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 really very good in that. Because um, you've also got sort of Milton Reed oh, in yeah. that, or, or as, to give him his full title, Milton Gaylord Reed, um, which is an unfortunate name to be given by your parents. But there you go, <laughs> playing a sort of mute character because he gets his tongue cut out, doesn't he? That's right. Yes, they say um, cut out his tongue. And, yeah. yeah. So 
it's which is handy because when you see uh, Peter Cushing, who is is the um, pirate Captain Clegg, he's, he's not able to tell anybody apart from the fact he keeps trying to kill him. I was going to say, doesn't he try and kill him? Wasn't he left on the island or something? Yes. Yes. yes they they sort of left him on the island, and then the Royal Navy come along and rescue him. He was a big old lad that chap, he was, wasn't he? Yes. He was. Yeah. I think he pops up in um, one of their war films, Camp on Blood Island. Yes. That's quite a harrowing one to watch. Because that was the flexibility a lot with Hammer was, yes, they're known for um, their their main showcase, which was gothic horror. But they, they would, every so often they'd slide off into interesting aspects where, yes, we had the Quatermass experiment, uh, starting off the X, the first ever X-rated movie Mm. over here. Uh, and they did that series, didn't they, of the of the Quatermass films? And then they would do, they did comedy dramas. Yeah. Yeah. They, uh, they did on the bus. Oh, Hannah. please no, no. <laughs> oh yes, yeah. the things like on the buses, uh, and that's quite odd considering you think one week you're sticking a stake through somebody's heart, and the next one you're going. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> <laughs> it's just such a. a um, shows their flexibility, really, doesn't it? Yeah. There have is. you have you talking of dubbing? You mentioned dubbing earlier, yeah. and, and Patrick Allen. Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever seen The Devil Rides Out? I haven't. No, no. And it's I I know that was possibly one of Christopher Lee's favourites. That and Rasputin, because he got to do something yeah. a little bit different. I think that was the thing with Christopher, because after a while he did tire, didn't? And you don't blame him. Well, I mean, it's like. He only gets 13 lines in Dracula. Really? Is it yeah. as few as that? And after that, he doesn't really talk at all in any of the films. So I can imagine it must be... It's not the greatest acting sort of experience, really, just to come along and hiss a bit and then get staked <laughs> or... Um, Sound like an angry cat. Yeah, yeah. Or, or fall through the ice or whichever version of what, however they're going to kill him off this film. Mm. I mean that. That's why I've I've still got about three of the three or four of the Dracula films to watch. So, but I I thought I'd branch out into some different kinds of films just to try and experience as much as the different kind of things Hammer did. Because as I said to somebody, there's only so many Frankenstein's and Draculas and mummies you can watch before it becomes a bit sort of uh, samey. Um, but to go on to um, Rasputin, the Mad Monk. I can't say that properly. It's, it's, it's he wasn't Patrick, mad. It's Patrick Barlow's fault because there's, there's the whole thing in the <laughs> National Theatre of Brent where he's like, Rasputin. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, um, yes, it's obviously not historically accurate because he wasn't even a monk. The man was married, and I'm pretty sure monks aren't allowed to marry. So cheeky um, monks are. <laughs> It's, 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 again, it's a really interesting film, and he's really good. Um, he's not a dancer because there is a whole scene where Rasputin dances, and at no point do you actually see Christopher Lee, do you? You just see the feet. I can imagine it's all gangly arms. Yeah, and legs. well, yeah. Being as tall he is, it's probably quite difficult to, to coordinate when you're dancing. But he's again, he's 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 mesmeric because his eyes are. They really are. You could... Barbara Shelley said she almost found herself, you know, being hypnotised by him because of, he's, he's just so intense. I am not a peasant woman. No. No, you're not, are you? What are you, then? What are you? I am lady-in-waiting to the Tsarina. 
I did spend that film sort of ping-ponging from side to side, uh, trying to decide who I was actually supposed to be rooting for. Because you start almost out rooting for Rasputin, and then he does, he starts to do all sorts of horrible things, and you're 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 sort of um, uh, trying to support the Russians, and then they do stuff, and you're like, oh god, who am I actually? And, that, and in a way, none of the people are particularly likable. Mm. And you've got that horrific thing with Dinsdale Landon's character where he gets the acid thrown in his yes. face. Uh, which is, which is, yeah, that's that's not nice. And he was a very nice man. We got to meet Dinsdale Landon once and he was a terribly nice, polite man. Yeah, so then obviously you get you get things like the reptile, which is the yeah. lovely Jackie Lynn Pierce. She, she was... She, I remember when we went and we saw her, didn't we? We did. And she did mention the reptile because somebody asked her a question about the the makeup and what it was like and she said all that she could remember was she got told off because she ate too much jam roly-poly yes. a lot yeah and her costume was quite tight mm. so, cause she's, there is no way she was in any way fat no good so. lord no um she she is very young in that film she's, she is she's very strikingly beautiful she is. the camera yeah. loves her in that film doesn't yeah. she and i think you'll find that also in plague of zombies yeah but yeah reptile is peculiar one especially when she's playing the sitar isn't she she yes. sat down and playing the well the equivalent to the sitar yes. isn't it yeah. and yeah they, and so he jumps up and smashes it and yeah there's that tenseness, isn't there? And what's going on here? Why? What? What's? What's happening here? I am probably a little bit um, hamstrung by the fact that I, before I watch these, I tend to look to see what's going to happen. So if there's anything particularly nasty coming up, I can, I'm ready for it. Yeah. Um, so, it, but it does mean I do find out a lot of plots. Well, obviously, in in the reptile, I kind of knew that she was this sort of weird snake woman character almost it's almost a female vampire wasn't in it in a way yeah it's but it's it's just really odd obviously it's really difficult to make a human being look like a snake yes so it's possibly not the best makeup it's very good makeup mm. but it's possibly not the most i was gonna say realistic i mean that's the wrong word because what would like a human snake look like who knows but yeah she's she's very good in that and she's very likable the character and it's and again it's another one that doesn't have any of the sort of major hammer stars so no peter cushing and no christopher lee john laurie though but you've got john laurie you've got michael ripper yeah and you've got ray barrett yes who is very good mm. i don't like the way however that the disease once they're bitten by the venom yes. affects them that is quite it's quite nasty nasty yeah, yeah. there's a lot of shaving foam involved there is a lot of shaving foam involved <laughs> yeah there's a lot of frothing at the mouth yeah that that was mm. quite an impact when that and especially when john laurie gets bitten yes um his character is quite eccentric to say the least yes. isn't he and i think actually his his character plays up his eccentric side yes yeah, to, to get out of sort of stuff he doesn't want to do yeah that is brings me on to something else about the horrific side and you 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 touched upon it there about the you looked into what was coming yeah how did you find the hammer shocks was there something that really stands out in one particular instance um i'm trying to think now because i do i i'm, I'm dreadful that i do spoil them for myself by looking to see what's coming so that there's a few jumpy bits that because 
I'm, I'm, I, I can jump anyway. Somebody can like just make a noise and I jump. It's ridiculous. I can go through a door and jump because there's somebody on the other side. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a bit in that one with the stuffed snake bit where it, it doesn't even rear towards the camera. It's like the camera goes up to it, but it looks like it's going to strike. But it's, it's, it's on a, like a rocker thing, isn't it? That made me jump. A lot of time it does help the fact that when I watch these films, Martha's my cat is sitting on my lap. So I have this little purry warm thing sitting on me, which is very soothing. Aww. Or a hot water bottle to cuddle. Yeah. Never underestimate a hot water bottle. <laughs> I think as they go on the Hammer films, they get increasingly to try and compete with the horror films that are coming out. Possibly more. I haven't actually seen to The Devil a Daughter, but I know there's some nasty bits in that. And at that point, you're getting things like The Exorcist yeah. um, and the sort of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, all of which I'm not particularly interested in because they don't have the kind of story that I find interesting. Because with Hammer, you do get the blood, but it's, as, as we said, it's very orangey red. It's not particularly realistic. So it's, you know, it's it's not really an issue. Yeah, I don't know. Some, yeah, some of, some of the stuff is a little gory, but... You have to just sort of tell yourself it's not real and, and they're all going to go off now and have tea. <laughs> um, Which would be interesting. So you would have viewed that differently in the cinema, do you think? Probably, yeah. yeah. I, I'm not great with jumps in the cinema. I, when I went to see Jurassic Park for the first time, uh, my nephew made me jump before the film even started. He walked past <laughs> me and I saw him walk past me and then he tapped me on the shoulder and I nearly shot into the roof. But yeah, there's a bit in Jurassic Park that always makes me jump and I can actually... I. I do. I, I, one thing I will say is when I'm watching them, if I think there's a tense bit coming up, I do distract myself by looking at my phone or my tablet, which is probably the wrong thing to do. But <laughs> it's that tension, isn't it? It's, yeah. it? It makes you feel. I know they say people. They say people like being shocked and getting jump scares, but I do find it quite uncomfortable, which is what you should do, I suppose. That's, that's what it's ho- designed to do. That's what I do. I'm exactly the same as you. If I have an uncomfortable scene, I my gaze goes elsewhere away from the. I can hear it happening. I just don't want to see it. But I mean, the, the last, the last of the Harry films I've watched t- to date, because I, as I hadn't got round to watching Plague of the, the Zombies yet, that's on the list. In but, for a treat there. Yeah, yeah. In I wanted to watch a black and white one, and I've, I've got a couple of black and white ones in in the collection. But I decided that I'd watch The Shadow of the Cat, which is not really a horror film. It's more of, or if it is, that they describe it as an old dark house film. So it's more psychological, but it's it, it got a great cast, and it's 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 shot in black and white, even though it's in 1961, maybe 1961. So it's after sort of Dracula and the Curse of Frankenstein, which were in colour. But I think they wanted to do it a little bit more on the cheap, and they could do it in, in black and white. But I guess that would limit it to the amount of cinemas you could put it out to, because by now people are starting to expect yes. colour films. But yeah, it's it's um, Andre Morel and Barbara Shelley. And Andre Morel basically gets his butler to murder his wife because he wants her money. And her pet cat watches this and becomes bent on revenge. And in a way, it's a little bit silly because everybody gets increasingly scared of this slightly tubby, innocuous cat. <laughs> but it's shot really nicely. I mean, it's um, it's directed by John Gilling. Ooh. Uh, who also rewrites the script a little bit because first of all the original writer George Baxt wrote it so that you never see the cat hence it the shadow of the cat yes but they rewrote it so that you see the cat but you get shots from the cat's point of view with a slightly distorted lens which is nice and I was firmly on the side of the cat (laughs) 
because uh, they're all extensively nasty people. Because you get William Lucas in there as well, and Richard Warner. Yeah, they're all trying to catch this cat and kill this cat. And, and I mean, the cat is far smarter than any of them. It, it outsmarts them all. Yeah, even at the end when half of them have been killed off in various ways. Not exactly by the cat, but they have accidents while they're, they're, they're trying to catch the cat. And Barbara Shelley, who is, is the niece of, of the old lady, gets the house. She leaves the cat. She sells the house and leaves the cat there. So I'm not even on her side either. <laughs> but then a new family move in and... and they look after the cat. Uh, well, then you, it's like the whole thing is starting up again because they're talking about how they want to try and get grandfather to change his will so they can inherit the money. And, oh, perpetual circle. Yeah. So it's like, okay, the cat's going get to get, get cross again and you don't want to make the cat cross. No. We should really briefly talk about some of the directors because obviously most of, or quite a lot of Hammer's films are directed by Terence Fisher, mm-hmm. who is, you know, a, a wonderful director. He had a strange way of doing things. I've said this before. He'd say, um, I know, this is, the script says um, to come in and you do this or that and the other and then you speak. And I remember him vividly saying, now show me what you are going to do. He very seldom said like a lot of other directors this is what you're going to do this is how you're going to do it this is where you're going to look this is where you're going to stop and that's when you start talking and then you move over there and you finish talking a lot of directors like to work like that it can be slightly unnerving terry was an arranger he would look at what you did and he would say no it doesn't work or it does let's shoot it he was a great arranger in the sense that he knew what would look best on the screen. He's not my favourite director because I think Peter Graham Scott for, for Captain Clegg, just the way he moves the camera around and, and maybe that's because he'd worked on television or he would, uh, I know he does um, Children of the Stones I think. That's right, yeah. Maybe his experience on television gives him a different way of looking at it but he it's just the way he moves the camera so much in Captain Clegg. You know, he doesn't just set it up and let everything happen in front of it. He moves the camera around in different shots. But Terence Fisher's films always look beautiful. They're always lit very well. And he, he you know, he can be inventive with a camera. And apparently he was a really nice man because I know um, Janina Fay, who's in Dracula, said that, you know, he'd sit her on his lap, look at her comics and, you know, he, he they they he treat her quite well he's not just like another child actress to do her bits and get yeah. off the set because obviously child actresses and actors always hold up things because you can only do so many hours you've got to have a tutor on there to, to make sure they don't miss out on their schooling so it's probably an expensive thing to have a child actor but you also get sort of like Don Sharp who directs Rasputin John Gilling I say he directs a few because he, he directs the um, the reptile and Plague of the Zombies well, they, they, yeah, they, because they have a very similar sort of ilk about them, um, and a particular style that is clearly his, because mm. they're very similar in the way they're shot and framed. None of the films are badly directed. You can always guarantee that a Hammer film will look good and it will be interesting, and the acting is more, mostly good. Michael Goff might be an exception to that because he doesn't really. He seems to think it's beneath him um, and he's not taking it as seriously or not giving his best as the others. And also you get that little bit as well with Robert Urquhart in A Curse of Frankenstein. I think he thinks the, the material is beneath him. Yeah. 
and you sort of say, hang on a minute, you look at Peter Cushing. Peter Cushing is giving it 110% and you need to sort of take your cue from Peter Cushing. But these are very much issues that are at the beginning of Hammer's, beginning of reawakening of the, the, the horror idea, isn't it? Yes, yes. They are the first modern horror films, these films, and in colour as well. And people wouldn't have seen these things in colour. They also wouldn't have seen some of the shots that are in them because you do get, as I say, you know, the monster being shot in the eye in, in Frank, Curse of Frankenstein. And that would have probably been off, off camera before. So it is, I mean, compared to today, it's, it's nothing really. But for the time, it was probably quite shocking and quite violent which is why they all get an X certificate. So that children couldn't go to see them until the 70s when the BBC showed them on a Friday night. <laughs> and we all watched and them. And you all watched them. So, <laughs> and thought they were great and still think they were great. Yeah. Yeah. So mm. what would you say then is your group of favourite Hammer films? Because it must be diff- I, it, I think it's unfair to tie any singular film down mm. because there are so many genres of the, the horror aspect of Hammer. Yeah. which particular films stand out for you? Well, Dracula stands out because it's, it's just it's outstandingly good and very well acted and well shot. I like The Gorgon because, in a way, it's, a, it's almost a romance with a little bit of horror tacked onto it because um, it's ultimately a very sad story, the fact that you know, Barbara Shelley's character and uh, Richard Pascoe's character, who have fallen in love, both end up dead. At the end, it's almost almost like Romeo and Juliet, but not with the sort of suicides. All of them have something to recommend them, but my, yeah, my favourites would be Dracula, the Gorgon, and Captain Clegg. I think. Yeah. Uh, but I do like the Mummy films as well. They're immensely fun, and I will be watching um, the Mummy Shroud and Blood from the Mummy's Tomb at some point. I quite like the first Mummy film. That's one of my. That favorites. is that that is very good, and it is obviously the best of. Of the version, the bit where Peter stabs Christopher Lee in the stomach with the spear, yes. and he snaps it off, yeah. and things like that. It was yeah. quite, quite and, good and, fun. And that came from a suggestion from Peter Cushing because really? you've got that poster, and and on the oh, poster the he's got light. the shaft yes. of light going through his stomach. It's like, well, what if I stabbed him in the stomach with a spear, and then you'd get that, you'd get that. Yeah. So he's, you know, it's like Peter Cushing has gone away and thought, hang on a minute. So why does he look like that? How can we make that happen and show the audience mm. at home? And he was responsible for the um, running along the table in Dracula yes. and pulling the curtains down. Yeah. Yeah, and the, the making the cross with the two... With the candlesticks. Yeah, and yeah. that is, as we say, that is so immensely physical. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and of course you, you've got the end of that film was edited. It's now been restored if you've got the Blu-ray version. Oh, yes. Because where, where Christopher Lee's... Dracula tears his face away. The the the, the uh, censors went. No, 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 no. That's far too graphic. And the fact we have Blu-ray now yes. accentuates the quality yeah. so well. Yeah, I mean, I I have a Hammer DVD box set which I bought a few years ago, but I'm I'm slowly replacing a lot of the films on there with Blu-ray just because the fact is, not in the fact they look a lot better. You've got so many great extras on there as well. Blu-rays as well as the the fact that the films look so much better are worth it for the extras as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to, to hear about what was going on behind the scenes. Um, not all of it good sometimes, but <laughs> mostly they seem to have got on very well. The, the it was run like a family. It, it was. was a family yeah. organisation. Yeah. People said that it was like working with the family. Yeah, they it? all got involved in film after film after film. And, yes, yeah, and it the fact lasted that, 19 years. No, you know. And the fact that we're still sat here talking about it today. 
And on that note, <laughs> and on that, thank you very much indeed for thank you. joining us, Elisa, to share your thoughts on Hammer, the Hammer experience. Yes, Hammer experience. Do 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 watch Hammer a Hammer film or two if you've never watched them because they are well worth it. But start at the beginning and work your way through because you will you will find a progression. Yes, that's so, a that's a really good point. You yeah. do need to see them in order. Yeah, I mean, though, though the first one I watched was actually Dracula AD seventy two, so I didn't, <laughs> didn't follow my own advice there. But that's the year I was born, nineteen seventy two, and the music, kids. It has got a groovy soundtrack. A lot yeah. of people will disagree with me and be very angry that I mentioned that, but I quite like <laughs> the fun, the fun soundtrack. It, in it there. is fun, and it does prove that Dracula can kind of work in the modern day. So where are you appearing at the moment, Lisa? Where am I appearing? Well, I'm, I'm frequently appearing on Vision on Sound, which is Martin Holmes's radio stroke podcast show. I've been on the shy life a little bit. And we do have a couple of new issues of Around the Archives since the last time I appeared on your, your show. And we are in preparation for the next one, but I'm not quite sure when it's going to come out yet. Ooh. Well, thank you very much for enjo- inviting me into the studio and on the That's famous right. red sofa. I hope it was comfortable. It was indeed. Thanks, Lisa. See thank you again you. soon. You've been listening to The Cinematic Sausage with me, Warren H. Cummings. I was in conversation with Lisa Parker on her adventures in the gruesome world of Hammer Horror Films. Thank you for dropping by. Why not check out Season 1 of our previous podcasts about the world of films under the banner of A Raspberry Movie and A Footlong Dog. Thank you to Martin Holmes for the new logo and for you, dear listener, for choosing us. So, until next time, stay safe and beware the sunset. Goodbye.